August 11th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we took a week off from this divisional preview series to live stream each of the five drafts in the inaugural Draft Sharks Invitational. You can replay any of those in video or audio form on DraftSharks.com or wherever you get your podcasts, and I'd recommend it. These were some sharp, seasoned drafters fighting for $250 league prizes, a $2,000 overall prize. And Jared, I thought it was interesting to see the variation in strategies. Yeah, I feel smarter after, you know, five, six hours of watching those drafts, seeing what all those guys did, how they strategized in that type of unique league. Um, I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. Now, though, it's time to get back to the team previews. and We, we have our final two divisions still to hit. We're going to deliver both of them this week. First up is the AFC West. And Jared, please tell us how the coaching picture has changed in Denver. Yeah, OC Pat Shermer is in for Rich Scangarella, who lasted just one year in that role for Denver. Um, Shermer, obviously, has been in the league for quite a while. Spent the last two seasons as the Giants head coach. Prior to that, nine years um, of experience. He's either a head coach or an offensive coordinator with the Rams, Browns, Eagles, and Vikings. Um, Schirmer's offense has struggled early on in his career. His first four years with the Rams and Browns, all four of those teams finished 24th or worst in both points and yards. Over his last seven years now, though, four of those teams ranked top 12 in total yards. Four of those seven ranked top 13 in total points. It is worth noting that three of those came under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. So I, it is fair to wonder how much credit Schirmer deserves for those teams. I would also encourage anybody to look back at the quarterbacks that Pat Schirmer has worked with in mm-hmm. his various stops because it's been a pretty, uh, let's say, unimpressive mm-hmm. list of NFL passers at this point, which really makes, um, I don't know, maybe it helps Drew Locke because Pat Schirmer has a history of coaching up some some man quarterbacks. Yeah. And that makes it interesting too, that if you, if you look at his play calling, he, he does tend to be a pass leaning play caller. Maybe that is because you have bad quarterbacks. Your team's usually bad. It means you're playing from behind, but um, nine of Shermer's 11 teams have ranked higher in pass attempts than rush attempts. His last four teams, their ranks in pass rate are third, fifth, 28th. Um, that was the Eagles team that went 13 and three lost Sam Bradford early to injury. Um, but that ninth was uh, Shermer's rank and pass rate prior to that. So his average pass rate over those four years has been 60.7%. I went with 60% pass uh, for the Broncos this year. I, I do think that they Shermer will probably want to run a bit more than average because he has a second year quarterback. He just signed uh, Melvin Gordon to, to a pretty big deal. Um, but I also think Denver is not going to be a great team, so that's going to force them to throw maybe a bit more than they want to. Yeah, Shermer's last two Giants teams were easily his two most pass-heavy. They were both well over 60%, but they both went 5-11 and and 4-12. and Lost Saquon Barkley, Barkley last year for three games. There was no depth behind Barkley in 2018, so nobody would really run the ball other than him. Overall, his offenses have averaged about 59% pass, 41% run. So that's where I projected him, which is basically the same. 59-41 split for me. You said 60-40 for you. Um, Last year, Vic Fangio's first year as the head coach in Denver, they went 57.6% pass. I would imagine that they, like you said, would like to run. And I also don't expect them to be particularly good this year. So, you know, same range for me for run-pass split. 
Yeah, the other note I just wanted to make on this offense before we get into the players is there's just very little continuity here, which I think we've talked about it being more important in this type of offseason that we've had. You know, they have a young quarterback in Drew Locke, new offensive coordinator, um, new running back, a new rookie wide receiver they're trying to work in. So that has me, I think, scaling back my excitement a little bit for this offense in general. Good, because I can't say that I'm heading into the season with a whole lot of excitement about this offense in general. And it starts with Drew Locke. 22nd among QBs in fantasy points over his five starts at the end of last year. Basically worthless for fantasy owners outside of that surprise big game at Houston. He had less than 15 and a half fantasy points in each of the other four games in that span. Pro Football Focus graded Locke 29th as a passer over that span of games. He was ahead of only David Blau, Jacoby Brissett, Kyle Allen, Devlin Hodges, Kyler Murray, and Will Greer. Give us the argument for Drew Locke, or, you know, give us the whole case, even if it's not an argument for him at this point. We got five stars from the guy last year. Those five stars came late in the year after, you know, he probably hadn't been practicing with the first team for, for most of it. Um, you know, he had that, I think it was a wrist injury early on. So it, it was it was a tough spot to be in. I think there's still a reason to be excited about Locke just as a prospect. You know, he did have some nice seasons at Missouri. But the biggest arguments are, one, the weapons. And, yeah, we, I, I did just mention that all the new pieces – might take him a while to get going, but you know, you add Jerry Judy and Melvin Gordon to Cortland Sutton and Noah Fan. It's a pretty good group of pass catchers. I think a group that could elevate Locke's numbers. And then I also think Locke brings some rushing upside. Um, he had 72 rushing yards in five games last year. That's a full season pace of 230 rushing yards. Would have ranked 12th among quarterbacks. So that that's adding some fantasy upside. I think I think he has the potential to finish even higher than 12th among quarterbacks in rushing yards. Locke Ran a 4.6940 at the combine. It's a really strong time for a quarterback. Tested as a 76th percentile athlete. So again, I think you know he has a chance to give us you know 250, 300 rushing yards, which which would be a big deal. For me, the argument for Drew Locke is that he's just quarterback 24 in August ADP. So at that level, why not? And then the remaining argument against him is that John Elway picked him. And John Elway's record on picking out quarterbacks <laughs> so far, aside from Peyton Manning, has not been particularly good. That that is fair. On to running back notes. Why don't you start us off with some Melvin Gordon stuff? Yeah, so just looking back at Shermer's history first, I won't run through everything, but it does look like he prefers a workhorse back. Now, he, he's had some really talented runners that I'm sure pushed him that way. Saquon Barkley, um, LaShawn McCoy, Steven Jackson. But basically in 10 of his 11 seasons as a head coach or, or OC, he either deployed a workhorse back or it seemed like he was heading in that direction before injuries hit. So that plus the fact that Denver gave Gordon a two-year, $16 million deal. Um, that makes Gordon the seventh highest paid running back in terms of a- average annual salary. That has me thinking that you know this is going to be something closer to a you know clear leader in Melvin Gordon than like a committee attack with Gordon and Lindsey. And a lot of times you'll see NFL contracts like that front-loaded where he's getting a bunch of money up front and then there's the chance that Gordon's cut the next year. That's not the, ch- that's not the case here. 13 and a half million of that 16 million is guaranteed. So Gordon is basically on a guaranteed two-year deal with the Broncos, which says to me a lot about what they think of him as a runner, considering they had Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman around already, and considering the league overall is devaluing running backs at this point. And further to the Pat Shermer point, eight of his 11 offenses where he's been the OC or head coach so far have had 
a running back finish among the top 15 in PPR. So I'm, I'm not adjusting that for injuries or anything. Eight mm-hmm. of those 11 teams have had a top 15 PPR back. So, you know, that's that's good for Melvin Gordon's chances of, of finishing up there. You mentioned they paid up for him. The Broncos were the 10th most run-heavy offense in the league last year. We're, we'll see where they go this year. Vic Fangio, right after they signed Melvin Gordon, said he can do all the jobs. So clearly they look at him as a three-down back. Uh, to this point, Gordon's been a less efficient runner than Philip Lindsay, but he's been a much better receiver and a way better pass blocker, which has been easily Philip Lindsay's worst area. And that's only going to help Melvin Gordon grab more of the passing down work. Yeah. Based on their performances um, as pro so far, Gordon definitely deserves to be the primary passing down back in Denver. And as we've said, based on the money, Lindsay always facing an uphill battle as an undrafted free agent. Um, I, I just think Gordon's going to end up getting, you know, 60 to 70% of the work there. And for Gordon's sake, I mean, if you look back at his yards per carry with the chargers, it doesn't look great yards per carry, you know, a questionable stat, but yeah. in moving to Denver, the Broncos offensive line has been better than the chargers in adjusted line yards in four of the past five years. There have been some changes up front this year, but they added Graham, Glasgow as a guard in free agency from Detroit. They drafted Lloyd Cushenberry in round three as a center. So there's still plenty of potential there. And like I said, they've been good in the, in recent seasons. So it could just be an upgrade in rushing situation for Melvin Gordon this season. Yeah. Gordon's always been one of those guys to me that just looks better than like his final yards per carry numbers would, would suggest. And he did finish first among all running backs in pro football focuses, rushing grades back in 2018. He was just 23rd last year, but that, that was sort of a funky season where he had to hold out for the first four weeks. You know, who knows, who knows what kind of shape he's in. So I still think Gordon is a quality back and is going to get the volume this year. Yeah, I think he's appropriately priced right now. I think my general just being not interested in the Denver offense on whole keeps yeah. me from going after him a lot, but I'm fine with where Melvin Gordon's going. I prefer um, James Conner and even Todd Gurley in that range. So I haven't been getting a ton of Gordon either, but I, I do think he's he's priced fairly. I agree with both of those as well. And that's a big reason why I haven't been getting a hold on Melvin Gordon. But if you take Melvin Gordon, I'm not going to tell you that you're making a mistake, at least until we get to, you know, late October and it's revealed itself. Then I'll tell you it was a mistake. Philip Lindsay is a solid handcuff type where he's going. Running back 39, late round eight in August, best ball tens. Uh, running back 36 in FFPC drafting right now. I would be more interested in him, though, if I don't already have Melvin Gordon. There's a, a study by JJ Zacharyson of Number Fire Fan Duel um, where he found that other teams' handcuffs carry more value for you than handcuffs to your own running backs. And the logic there is if you have Melvin Gordon or you know some other situation and your starter goes down and then that then that turns the handcuff into a starter, you're still getting a net loss in performance, most mm-hmm. likely in production. So you sure you get the guy that steps in, but he's probably not going to give you the same numbers as the starter that you lost to injury. If you have Philip Lindsay though, and Melvin Gordon goes down for somebody else's team, then Philip Lindsay gains value and you didn't lose that starter from your team. So overall it's a net gain for your team. In this particular case, I would also throw out that I would not want to put Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay into the same fantasy lineup ever, yeah. unless I really needed to. So Philip Lindsay, you have to pay up versus other handcuff prices and it, it would be a dead roster spot because, like I said, I would not want to start both of them unless it was necessary. Yeah, and that was a good article from JJ, and I, I completely agree. It's it's handcuffing your own guy raises your team's floor. Handcuffing someone else's guy raises your team's ceiling. And I think we should always be more concerned about our ceiling when we're trying to you know beat out eleven other teams to win a league. Lindsay, for me, at you know say running back thirty six, running back thirty nine, whatever he's that's that's just a bit 
too expensive for me for a guy who I, I do think is going to be mostly a handcuff. Like, I, I don't think he's going to get enough volume to to be a guy we ever, ever feel good about putting into our starting lineup as long as Melvin Gordon's healthy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I am especially less interested in Philip Lindsay as we move away from best ball drafting and into more yep. lineup setting leagues. Yep. Royce Freeman, an afterthought at this point. The best outcome for him would be, for him, fantasy owners and the Broncos, I think, would probably be if he's traded for a draft pick later this summer. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing that at all. Pass catcher notes. Why don't you start us off with some Cortland Sutton propaganda? Yeah, I just think Cortland Sutton's a stud. He's he's someone I want to bet on. 72 catches, over 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. In his second season on, you know, what wasn't a great Broncos offense, uh, Sutton finished uh, 19th among wide receivers in PPR points. His efficiency was even better than that. Among 50, sorry, among 79 receivers with 50 plus targets, uh, Sutton ranked 12th in yards per route run, 13th in PFF receiving grade. Um, he did see 24.5% of Denver's targets last year. I think that share probably comes down a bit. With you know maybe Noah Fant taking a step forward, Jerry Judy giving you know Denver a, a big upgrade at number two wide receiver. I also think though Denver's overall pass volume should come up. They threw it just 504 times last year. Again, um, you know Shermer's been a pass leaning play caller. I projected Denver for for 570 attempts last year, so or, or sorry for this season. So that would be enough for for Sutton to you know still easily top 120 targets. I think. Yeah, and there's room for his target share to come down and still be fine. As you mentioned, uh, Cortland Sutton ranked seventh among all wide receivers in target share last season. So I agree that he's probably going to lose a bit to the new additions here, uh, but room for for that to still be okay. His efficiency fell with Drew Locke versus Joe Flacco. Again, we're, we're only talking about five games, so maybe it's just a matter of them getting comfy with each other, Drew Locke getting used to the league, and Drew Locke was coming off a bad thumb sprain, according to his team. So... You know, plenty of room for the the efficiency to just wind up to be a blip. But it's worth keeping in mind that that Sutton's catches, yards per game, yards per catch, catch rate all fell over that stretch. Even though his average depth of target um, went further down the field, he, he still lost yardage with the QB change. Now, what Sutton did do, as you said, was just play terrifically last year in a not terrific situation. His year two yardage ranked 18th for a sophomore campaign among all active wide receivers. That sounds like an unimpressive number, I think, 18th. I mean, what does that really mean? But if you look ahead of him on the list, all of the guys, pretty much all of the guys ahead of him on that list have gone on to be strong to this point. You can check out the entire list of 17 in front of him in his player profile if you're a DS insider. But, you know, if if you're just listening here for free, you got to trust me that the 17 in front of him is mostly some pretty strong names. Last year, only... Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Kelsey, Allen Robinson had more games of at least four catches and 40 receiving yards than Sutton. So again, we're just talking about eight PPR points there, but it shows you a decent floor that he set in a not awesome situation for fantasy production and how few guys were ahead of Cortland Sutton in being a consistent numbers producer for PPR owners last year. Yeah, and he's a guy we had high expectations for coming into the league. You know, big, athletic, strong production profile was a second round pick. So sort of like DJ Moore, maybe not quite to that level. Like I think Moore is and will be a better player. But same argument, just, you know, Sutton's a guy I want to bet on, especially because his price tag is not inflated. Jerry Judy is new, arrived in the first round, did not leave the board before Henry Ruggs, even if he should have. Uh, Pat Shermer, number two wideouts, have averaged a 16.7% target share, and really, they've fallen pretty consistently around that number throughout his time as an OC or head coach. Shermer called Jerry Judy 
obviously, quote, a good scheme fit uh, right after they drafted him. And the team's director of player personnel, Matt Russell, said that playing at Alabama could shave time off of the development arc for Judy. Um, So, you know, basically saying because he played at Alabama, he could be more pro ready than other wide receivers from other programs. Maybe it makes him ready to contribute more quickly. Judy, of course, plenty of production in college, 145 catches, 17.1 yards per catch over the past two years. Spent most of his time more often in the slot at Alabama, but can play outside or in the slot. And we've heard that from Broncos decision makers already. And we've seen so many of these Bama receivers come out and make immediate impacts. Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley. I think Judy is at least on Calvin Ridley's you know, scale as far as the talent goes. I think he's probably better. And Judy, to me, is one of, if not the best route runner we've seen come into the league in recent memory. So I do think he's ready to make an immediate impact. The the you know, door is obviously wide open for him to claim that number two wide receiver job. Judy also spent some time working out with Drew Locke in June, which I, I do think is interesting, you know, considering we didn't get any OTAs. Yeah, Judy is the probably the the biggest concern for me with Cortland Sutton because mm-hmm. I think that there's a chance that very soon into Jerry Judy's career he just proves to be the new best wide receiver on the Broncos. I mean, I think they're both awesome. Yeah, I think this could be like a top five wide receiver duo in the NFL by next year. And I I think it's possible by next year, Judy, you know, surpasses Sutton on the target totem pole. I, I don't expect it to happen this year, though. I can't say that I would expect it, but that's my concern when I'm looking at Sutton versus the other wide receivers around him in ADP. I'm not interested in KJ Hamler this year. I know he's an exciting athlete, but he and Deshaun Hamilton, I, I'm not interested in any other wide out in Denver. Me either. I mean, I think you can make an argument for Hamler um, late in basketball drafts. You know, he, he didn't run at the combine, but you watch him play. You know, He's at least a 4-3 guy. So there's some big play upside for him this season. I do think he'll be Denver's number three wide receiver. And Pat Shermer's Giants ranked second in percentage of plays with three plus wide receivers on the field last year. And, you know, based on their personnel, I, d- I do think they will be heavy on three wideouts again this season. So H- Hamler should at least be on the field. I still don't think he'll see enough volume to be someone we can count on in lineup setting leagues. Noah Fant gave us the 17th best PPR season for a rookie tight end since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger. Among that group of players, he produced the eighth most receiving yards, 10th most yards per catch. Fans sort of like Sutton, where he's just a guy I want to bet on. I mean, he had that strong rookie season, you know, compared to what most tight ends do as rookies. That followed a super productive college career. He tested as a 98th percentile athlete at the Combine. Uh, Denver took him 20th overall. So definitely a player I believe in. We've seen plenty of tight ends really break out in their second season. I think Fant is capable of doing that. And he's not going, you know, too highly in drafts right now. Five straight Pat Shermer offenses have sent... 15% or more target share to the lead tight end. Three of those had a tight end top 19% in target share, and that's adjusted for Evan Ingram's missed time. So just counting the games that Evan Ingram played in for his target share. Now, those teams had Evan Ingram, Zach Ertz, and Kyle Rudolph. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about some name brand tight ends, but Pat Shermer called Fant very similar to Ingram during his introductory news conference with the Broncos. So clearly he thinks a lot of Fant's athleticism. The question is volume and quality of the offense here. Noah Fant could certainly stand to improve his catch rate. You know, kind of like with Cortland Sutton, we'll see how much of that 
late in the year with Drew Locke was just a shortcoming of the quarterback or just, you know, something that's going to improve with development. Obviously, Noah Fan has some developing to do, but as you said, it's kind of mitigated by how low he's going in ADP. Yeah, tight end 14 in ADP. Um, you know, we have him ranked four or five spots higher than that. So Fan's been a guy I've been taking a lot of so far. He's also tight end 11 in FFPC drafting right now. Now, it's more than a half round above where he was going in FFPC best ball drafts versus where he's going in main event drafts. So we haven't seen a lot of main event drafts so far. So we're not, you know, you have to be aware that the ADP could be skewed. But I'll be curious to keep watching that. We did just add FFPC ADP to the website. And those numbers can be especially instructive to us because, you know, it's serious drafters. It's big money drafts trying to win with each of these teams. So it's interesting to see where these will differ from uh, general best ball ADPs. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, main event ADP should be sharp. I mean, you're spending 1800 bucks on a team. I, I hope you know what you're doing. So it makes me feel kind of good that, you know, fans going higher there at tight end 11, even at tight end 11. I think, I think he's, you know, a, a solid pick there. Who I like, honestly, I'm not targeting anyone on the Denver offense breathlessly, especially outside of best ball leagues. Yeah, I actually have been taking quite a bit of Denver guys, and it's really been Fant, you know, again, at tight end 14, even you know, getting closer to the top 10 at tight end. He's someone I'll consider. Uh, Corlin Sutton's at wide receiver 19 in ADP. That's exactly where he finished last year. I think, you know, he, he's a good bet to return value there. And then Drew Locke, especially when I take Sutton or Fant, you could argue Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater versus Gardner Minshew. And you can make arguments for all those guys, but if I if I have Sutton or Fant already, I'll definitely lean towards Locke to get that stack. My biggest problem with Cortland Sutton is he's right ahead of Keenan Allen and Tyler Lockett, Tyler Lockett especially. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm taking Cortland Sutton zero times out of ten versus Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I mean, I won't argue too hard against that. Um, I, I love Tyler Lockett, but I, I think you should at least mix in some Sutton. Yeah, I, maybe one time out of 10, but <laughs> as right. we move toward picking leagues where we're going to play it out, it's, it's locket for me who I dislike. I don't hate anyone. I mean, I made the case against Sutton, but I'm fine with him in that range. It's just really, when we talk about each of these individual players, I just happen to prefer other guys going in the same ADP range. Yeah. Philip Lindsay's the Bronco I'm least likely to draft again, RB 39, a bit high for a guy who I think is going to be mostly a handcuff. You know, Lindsay's going ahead of Matt Breda, uh, and Zach Moss, I would definitely take those two guys straight up over him pretty easily. I strongly agree with both of those. On to the Kansas City Chiefs. Coaching change is nothing. Uh, Andy Reid has been the head coach since 2013. Eric Bieniemy heads into his third season as the OC. We've seen several OCs now under Andy Reid in Kansas City, and it's really just a springboard to a head coaching job because you're going to be, quote-unquote, running a strong offense. The Chiefs have finished top six in total offensive DVOA in four of the past five seasons. They finished fourth, first, and third the past three years. The first of those three years was the final Alex Smith season, so it's not all Patrick Mahomes. The past two years, of course, have been Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs were 31st in DVOA the year before Andy Reid arrived. They have finished 15th or better every season since then, no lower than 13th since his first year with the team. Last year, the Chiefs were 5th in points, 6th in total yards, and that was despite Patrick Mahomes missing two and a half games. The year before, they were 1st in both of those categories and scored the 3rd most points ever. Yeah, I mean, not much needs to be said here. Andy Reid's an awesome offensive mind. Patrick Mahomes, you know, the, the best quarterback in the NFL. The, the one thing that always surprises me when I do Chiefs projections is how low they rank in play volume most years. Like just the last two years, they've been 23rd and 25th in total offensive plays. I, I do think some of that is because you know, when you're scoring 80-yard touchdowns, uh, you know, you don't have the ball as long. But I, 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 it's it's not it's nothing really noteworthy, just something interesting that, that I always find when doing these projections. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely a main factor, if not the main fa- main factor, is they score from farther away than any other team. They just don't have to run as yeah. many players. On the run-pass split front, Andy Reid leaned a bit more toward the run early in his Chiefs career than he has the past two years. The past two years with Patrick Mahomes as a starter, 61.1%, 61.6% pass. The Chiefs went 12-4 and four in each of those two seasons, so obviously leaning pass, yeah. even though they're not trailing very often in games, I think that certainly makes sense when Patrick Mahomes is your signal caller. I think you project the Chiefs in that 61-61.5% to 61.5% range uh, for pass lean this year. Yeah, I went 62.5%, and I don't think I even updated that after the Damian Williams opt-out. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, rookie running back, he's not like the biggest guy. He's good on the ground. I think he's probably even better in the passing game. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get KC up to like 63 or 64% pass. Yeah, I have that note as well. It could even tick higher with Damian Williams opting out with Clyde Edwards-Alaire as the lead back. I mean, why not pass the ball on yeah. 63 or more percent of plays with this offense? Exactly. QB notes, Patrick Mahomes is awesome, just in case you haven't watched him play at all. He came down to earth a little bit, you know, for him last season, working around a pair of injuries. He had a sprained left ankle in week one. He aggravated that in week five. He played on it until week seven. That was when he dislocated his right kneecap. Only missed two games because, according to doctors, he has abnormally loose knee ligaments that allowed him to return quicker than a normal human being might. And then in the playoffs, so after Mahomes finishes the season that was, you know, kind of disappointing compared with the best fantasy season ever the year before, in the playoffs, he averaged 300 passing yards, 45 rushing yards, and four total touchdowns across his three victories. If you take the three playoff games, you add them to his 13 full games from the regular season, Mahomes was the number two fantasy quarterback last year, behind only Lamar Jackson, obviously. And that season, if you put all those games together for Patrick Mahomes last year, would have been the 11th best fantasy QB season ever. Yeah, that rushing production in the playoffs is interesting to me. He, he went seven carries for 53 yards in the first game, eight for 53 in a score, and then nine for 29 in a score. I think Mahomes could do something like that throughout the regular season. I just wonder if the, the Chiefs sort of rein him in during the regular season and then sort of unleash him in the playoffs when, you know, it's 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 a winner-go-home situation. So I'll be interested, interested to see if Mahomes' rushing production climbs at all this year. It doesn't really have to. You know, he he's my quarterback one over Lamar Jackson. I just think what Mahomes does is a bit more repeatable than, you know, how, how Jackson did it last year. Not arguing against either guy, but if you are taking one of them, I, I do prefer Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking one or the other in the range where they're both going, I would lean toward the safer option. And even though Lamar Jackson brings the rushing with him, I think the safer total package, as we said on here before, is Patrick Mahomes, especially when you factor in the talent that's around him. Yep. Running back notes, Clyde Edward D'Lair got an obvious boost when Damian Williams decided to opt out. The Chiefs, top six in points and yards for three straight seasons, so that obviously helps the running back scoring opportunities. Chiefs running backs were just 15th in PPR points last season, but fifth in the league in that category the year before. 25th in running back touches last year, 28th in 2018. Uh, 2013 was actually the only Andy Reid Chiefs team to rank higher than 21st in running back touches, so really, the Williams opt-out might even help Clyde edwards Lair more than people might have expected. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, ama- it's amazing how much has gone right for Clyde Edwards-Alaire basically since the draft. Like, he lands in the first round, goes to the Chiefs, then Damon Williams opts out, pretty much, you know, paving the way for, for him to, to be, you know, something close to a feature back. As long as he's ready for it, I think that's the big question. You know, can, can a rookie 
get ready to be back there alongside Patrick Mahomes come week one. It is worth noting uh, Lewis Riddick from ESPN, not like a reporter, but someone who's definitely, you know, well-connected in the league, had a tweet uh, earlier this week saying that, like, you know, Clyde Eversolaire is, is progressing well. He's sort of doing everything the Chiefs would have wanted him to do so far. So it definitely seems like Eversolaire is trending in the you know direction to be the clear lead back for the Chiefs come week one. And Lewis Riddick has specifically has Philly background from the time when Andy Reid was there. So I, sure, yep. I believe the connection there. And I mentioned the the kind of lower volume for Chiefs running backs on touches, but five of Andy Reid's seven Chiefs teams have ranked among the top 10 in the league in running back touchdowns. Three of those have ranked among the top two. So even with fewer touches, they're scoring a lot. That should continue this season. And overall, in Andy Reid's 21 years as a head coach now, his top back has averaged 20.6 opportunities. It's carries plus targets. His seven years in Kansas City, that top back has averaged 19.2 opportunities. That average would have ranked 12th in the league last year. So, you know, we mentioned the Damian Williams opt-out. There should be t- plenty of touches available for Clyde edwards Elair now. I mean, if you look back at the specific years and specific players, we've seen Andy Reid maybe go a little lighter with his rookie running backs. Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, and Philly stand out. But those teams had Deuce Staley when Brian Westbrook arrived, and then Brian Westbrook when LaShawn McCoy arrived. That guy just opted out for the season. So I think that opens the door for more Edwards Elair touches than we've seen from previous Andy Reid rookie backs. Reed has produced a top 16 PPR running back in 16 of his 21 seasons as a head coach. He's had a top 10 running back in 10 of his 21 seasons. That, and that includes Kareem Hunt's rookie season. Um, and, you know, obviously a, the majority of those Reed seasons have not come with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. So, again, it, it's just, it's a pretty much ideal situation for Edwards Alaire to be coming into. Of course, there's not too many people arguing against Edwards Alaire being in a good position right now. The, the yeah. real question is, does he belong where you have to draft him? I think – he belongs at the end of round one. Is he a safe option there? Of course not. Uh, you're going to have to kind of weigh him against who's available there. If I'm playing in a big contest like the FFPC or the Football Guys Championships, yep. I think I would pass on Clyde edwards Elair in that late round one, beginning around two range, because people that have drafted before you have already had the chance to take him late in round two, even into round three. We've actually even seen him go in round four in those contests. So Folks who have him on their team have been able to do so and stack him with another top running back. So I think you're giving up the advantage by taking him. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I, I had the chance to take Edwards Alaire at the 2-3 turn in my pros versus Joe's draft. It was obviously before the Damian Williams opt-out, and I, I was close to clicking the button on him. I didn't do it, and I, I can't sleep ever since. <laughs> there, I saw one draft over the past week where somebody got Edwards Alaire in round four and then got Antonio Gibson in like round <laughs> 16. I think it was a, right. a football guys draft. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, all right. DeAndre Washington, to me, is the next guy up. Played two years with Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Uh, his final season, Washington's final season, was the first year that Mahomes was the full time starter. But Washington averaged 6.4 yards per carry that year, had a receiving line of 41, 385, and two. He has since topped 30 catches two of the past three years with the Raiders in crowded backfields there. Washington brings good speed, good athleticism, decent size. His top player profiler comp is Devontae Freeman. And there was a note from um, the Athletics' Nate Taylor earlier this week that he, he thinks that Washington could split snaps with Edwards Alaire during the first month of the season was the quote. Um, I'm not expecting that, but, but to me the takeaway, like you said, is DeAndre Washington is the favorite for number two duties here. 
Um, what, you know, whether that makes him a standalone fantasy option whenever Zelaya is healthy, I, I don't expect that. But if nothing else, you know, he, he's a handcuff in this you know perfect running back situation. I definitely think it makes him worth drafting in the double digit rounds right now. Yeah, the key here is that DeAndre Washington's going late. He's well into the double-digit rounds, as you mentioned, so you don't have to pay up for where you were taking Damian Williams. I'm not saying DeAndre Washington equals what Damian Williams was going to do. If anything, he's more attractive because he's going much later. Right. The others competing here, Darwin Thompson, Darrell Williams, Elijah McGuire. I mean, at least one of those three guys is probably not going to make the roster. I'm really not interested in any of them for a redraft team. I would say if I have to pick one, it's still Darwin Thompson over the other two. Yeah, that's the guy that's most intriguing. He had the strong measurables, had the strong production at Utah State, obviously. So you got to dock that a bit. But he was a sixth round pick. He only averaged three and a half yards per carry last year as a rookie. Didn't fare well in pro football focus rushing grades or elusive rating. So probably time to tap the brakes a bit on Darwin Thompson after, you know, he was much hyped around this time last year. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that DeAndre Washington makes a lot of sense, whether you have Clyde Edwards Elair or not. You know, we talked about the handcuff thing earlier. It's going to have to be more than a 20 round draft for me to give any other Chiefs back a look at all. Yeah, uh, DeAndre Washington is definitely a handcuff I would be interested in, whether or not I have Clyde edwards Elair, because again, j- just uh, the situation he'd be coming into if edwards Elair misses time is so good. Yeah, I agree. Pass catcher notes, Tyreek Hill. We all know about the upside here, but he was probably more consistent than most people realized last year. Tyreek Hill missed some games, um, was out with an injury for a bit, left a couple others early. He topped 10 PPR points in every full game, though all 10 games where he played the whole way. Third most fantasy points per game across formats in those 10 contests. That followed 2018, where he was second in PPR, first in non-PPR, and 2017, where he was top eight across fantasy formats in his first full starting season with Alex Smith as the quarterback. Yeah, impressive season for Tyreek Hill when you factor in that he was hurt, that his quarterback was hurt, and he still did what he did. And yeah, he you know he, he's a big play threat, obviously, which you'd think makes him volatile, but he gets good target volume. The Chiefs use him on short range stuff and they give him the ball on the ground. So that obviously you know helps him uh, be a bit more consistent than you might think from week to week. Travis Kelsey to me is really the only other Chiefs pass catcher I'm particularly interested in in drafts this year. Led tight ends and PPR scoring for each of the past four seasons. Each of those years ranks among the top 45 PPR seasons ever at the position. <laughs> Kelsey, I think, belongs in the second half of round one in really any common format. Yeah, I mean, he, he led all tight ends in fantasy points last year despite getting unlucky in the touchdown department. He scored just five times. Um, that was after scoring 10 and eight times the previous two seasons. The, the big culprit was he, he just didn't convert his targets near the goal line into, into touchdowns. He, he was second in the entire league, you know, not just among tight ends, among all players with 12 targets inside the 10-yard line. He converted just two of those 12 into touchdowns. It's a 17% conversion rate. Over the previous three seasons, Kelsey converted 41% of his targets inside the 10 into touchdowns. So I would definitely expect that to rebound. I think, you know, he definitely has another 10 touchdown season in him. And I'm with you, Kelsey, worth a pick when you get to the, you know, end of the first round of fantasy drafts. Really should have had at least one more touchdown catch in the end zone. There was that, I think it was week one where Patrick Mahomes tried to no look it to a wide <laughs> open Kelsey in the corner of the end zone and completely aired it over his head. Even Mahomes was laughing about it on Twitter afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. Sammy Watkins is up next. The Chiefs have slashed his average depth of target, turning him into a much shorter range 
target than he was previously with the Rams or the Bills. What do you like about Sammy Watkins? I mean, he went for 198 yards and three touchdowns in week one last year. You know, not not many. I'd, I'd say no other wide receivers going where he goes in fantasy drafts have, you know, the, even close to that type of upside. Now, Watkins did absolutely nothing the rest of the year. He finished as a top 36 wide receiver in just one other game the rest of the season. But he at least sucked me back in in the playoffs by having a nice three-game stretch. He had two catchers for 76 yards in the Chiefs playoff opener, seven for 114 in a score in the AFC Championship, and then five catchers for 98 yards in the Super Bowl. And there was talk all offseason about the Chiefs potentially you know, cutting Sammy Watkins. But they restructured his contract to keep him aboard, and he's still making $9 million this season. So it's not like he took this you know, massive pay cut to stay. So to me, Watkins still looks like the clear favorite to be the number two wide receiver in Kansas City. Here's something I didn't even realize until last night when I was working on my notes for this. I mentioned the average depth of target way down with the Chiefs versus where it was with the Rams and Bills. I mean, he had three straight seasons of more than 14 and a half yards of average depth of target before joining Kansas City. He's been 8.9 and 9.8 in his two years with the Chiefs. But from week 11 to week 17 last year, his dot was 12 yards. So that's already up, you know, two over his full season average from last year in the playoffs it was 14.0 when he did start delivering us bigger numbers so if the Chiefs continue to give Sammy Watkins more downfield stuff than they were early on I agree that increases the upside on Watkins and that gets me more interested now than I was heading in and his role didn't change it wasn't like he suddenly started playing outside versus playing in the slot more he was still pretty much splitting between the slot and playing outside in those later portions of the season. It looks like they just started going to him more downfield. So I hope that that continues. And I went into my notes saying, I don't really care about Sammy Watkins this year because of the way most of last year went. Yeah. I'm now a little bit more interested in that price. Well, and, and if you want to say in a lineup setting league, you just don't want to deal with you know, you know the headache of Sammy Watkins. I'm totally okay with that. But in best ball, he's going at wide receiver 56. Like I, I don't see any reason not to take him there or even take him, you know, five, 10 spots before that. And frankly, even in a lineup setting format, I don't see any reason not to take him there because you get to a week where you're not sure who to start. A Patrick Mahomes receiver is generally going to be a pretty good option. I'd, I'd say so. A Patrick Mahomes receiver who I don't think is a good option, though, is Nicole Hardman. I think his ADP is absurd. So the exciting stuff is easy. 20.7 yards per catch as a rookie would have led the league if he'd qualified. Six touchdowns on 26 catches. But Hardman had 41 targets for the entire regular season. 22 of those came in four games that Tyreek Hill missed. Another four came in Tyreek Hill's first game back from injury where he played limited time. And another four came in the Week 11 game that Tyreek Hill left early against the Chargers. Then Hardman, even at the end of the year, had six total targets in their three playoff wins, the same number as Demarcus Robinson. And then the Chiefs brought back Demarcus Robinson and restructured Sammy Watkins' contract. Yep, I mean, you said it all. You know, in the, in the eight regular season games when both Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins were healthy, Hardman never topped a 38% snap share. His snap shares in the playoffs didn't really climb. It was 16%, 40%, and 28%. I do expect Hardman to pass up Demarcus Robinson this season. But, I mean, it's not like Demarcus Robinson was a reliable fantasy option last year, you know, especially when Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins were healthy. You know, e- even if Hardman is the number three wide receiver on this team, He's at least fourth in line for targets, you know, behind Travis Kelsey. Clyde Edwards-Alaire could easily out-target McCall Hardman, too. So I, I don't see the volume 
there for Hardman to be someone we can count on in lineup setting leagues. I would love him in best ball if I could get him, you know, around where Sammy Watkins is going, you know, in the you know twelfth round. But you know, Hardman's going what in the in the eighth round last I checked. That's just, that's just crazy to me. Yeah, it's insane that he's going so far ahead of somebody like Deshaun Jackson. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is what. I, I, I guess is what people want Nicole Hardman to be yeah. if they're drafting him this year. Deshaun Jackson is already set up to start for the Eagles and should be their number one wide receiver in targets this year. I, I don't see the path for Nicole Hardman to pay off where you're drafting him this year, especially once you have to decide whether to put him in your lineup. Let's go ahead and transition now to the who I dislike, which is obviously Hardman. He's not even as valuable as his ranking, I don't think, because you're not going to want to keep Hardman in the lineup. Of course, he's going to hit a touchdown here and there just with his speed throughout the season, but you're going to have to leave him in the lineup to be able to catch that. I don't think that you're going to be able to say, okay, he's playing the Bucks this week. It's a great time for Nicole Hardman to, to score a 60-yard touchdown. I think he's going to be on your bench. I think he's going to frustrate you when he has you know, the game where he catches three balls for 120 and two scores on your bench, and then you're going to start him the next three weeks and get two points a game. In a lineup setting league, I think Hardman's basically a wide receiver handcuff. Like if Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins miss time this season, then Hardman's probably someone you can stick in there and at least hope to get a big play. But I'm not taking a wide receiver handcuff in the eighth round of a draft. Yeah, I agree with that. I, the only way I'm interested in Hardman is if I already have Tyreek Hill and I want to handcuff Hardman. Because I do think if Tyreek Hill goes down, you know, there's a big step up for Hardman. But as you said, he would still have to slip well past ADP for me to actually make that move in most cases. Yeah, I mean, if Watkins and Hardman were flipped in ADP, it would make a lot more sense. And I, I think, you know, again, Hardman in the 12th round would be something I'd be interested in. Who do you like in Kansas City? Sammy Watkins at wide receiver 56, been taking a ton of him in best ball. Again, I, I do think in lineup setting leagues, I'll, I'll back off a little bit. And then Travis Kelsey, I mean, he's going in the mid second round in the best ball tens. Um, he, he does consistently go in the first round in FFPC draft, but um, I, I think, you know, he, he obviously belongs there with the 1.5 PPR for tight ends. Yeah, I'm with both of those. I don't think there's a true value target here in Kansas City just because, you know, everybody wants a chief. So they're yeah. at least appropriately valued. I think Tyreek Hill, it might be the, the guy I'm most likely to draft. I'll take Travis Kelsey if he's getting into round two. Tyreek Hill, I'm comfy taking at any point from like pick 110 through yeah. wherever I can get him. Yep, yeah, we do there. Um, Patrick Mahomes, even someone I, I've taken at least once when he dropped into the late third round. Um, you know, just that range of drafts. The running backs all have question marks. A lot of the wide receivers you can expect to, you know, come back and get in the fourth round. So I do think Mahomes makes sense if he, if he drops into the, you know, say the second half of round three. Yeah, I agree with that. If I get into that range in there and I already have at least one running back I like and I don't love the running backs on the board, as you said, and there's like a group of four wideouts where I can be pretty sure I'm going to get at least one of them in my next turn. I like taking Mahomes in that instance. You always know Robert Woods will be be there for us in the fourth. Exactly. The Raiders, who has changed on the coaching staff there? Anybody, Jared? No, no coaching changes here. Um, John Gruden, head coach, and Greg Olson is offensive coordinator back for their third season together. Uh, let's talk about this Raiders offense that was, I think, better than people realized last year. I think part of it was that they finished just 24th in point score. They underachieved in that department, but the Raiders were 11th in total yards. They were ninth in yards per play, and they were ninth in football outsiders DVOA. So again, it, it, it's you know it seems like they just underachieved in, in the scoring department, and you know that that I think is making a lot of these players discounted in fantasy drafts right now. Yeah, I agree. I think there's room for this offense to be a surprise offense of 2020 for just that reason, because they don't have as far to climb 
to actually be a surprise. It's just that people don't realize how good they were last year. So the Raiders went 55.8% pass last year. That was way down from 2018, um, Gruden and Olsen's first season together. The Raiders that year were 61.1% pass. But last year falls more in line with what John Gruden has done, at least recently. His previous three offenses, I, I shouldn't say recently too, because you know Gruden hadn't coached for 10, or 10 years or whatever before returning to the Raiders. But um, his three, three previous offenses did go 56.8% pass. 53.9% and 58.4%. So, you know, I, I do think Gruden is a run leaning play caller. Um, they did spend a first round pick on Josh Jacobs just a year ago. So I, I do think this is going to be a team that at least finishes in the bottom half of the league in pass rate. Yeah. Greg Olson did not take the 10 year sabbatical that John Gruden did to be on TV. His OC career has featured an average 60.2% pass. So I fell right in between that and last year's split and went uh, 58-42 pass run. Yeah, I'm at 58% too, actually. The thing about Olsen's teams, uh, especially his last two teams in Jacksonville, they went 3-13 and and 5-11. and So I think that inflated the pass rate a little bit. QB notes, Derek Carr is coming off career highs in completion rate and yards per attempt. He was eighth in pro football focus passing grade last year with the second best mark of his career in that category. And he did that with these guys as his target leaders. Darren Waller at 117, Hunter Renfro at 71, and Tyrell Williams at 64. And both Renfro and Williams missed multiple games to injury. Yeah, I mean, listen, Derek Carr is not an exciting fantasy pick. He's not an exciting real-life quarterback. You know, he's, I, I, I agree with people that say he's not aggressive enough. He's not going to add much with his legs. But he, he was at least efficient last year. You know, second among all quarterbacks in completion rate, seventh in yards per attempt. He finished just... 16th among quarterbacks in total fantasy points. He was 24th in fantasy points per game. He, you know, sort of like the entire Raiders offense, got a bit, bit unlucky in the touchdown department, though. Carr was 8th among all quarterbacks in passing yards, just 19th in passing touchdowns. Um, his 4.1% touchdown rate was a few tenths of a percentage point below his career average coming into the league. So I do think Carr is a positive touchdown regression candidate this season, especially when you consider some of the weapons they added for him. Uh, and we talked about the, the offense being good last year. Big jump from the year before, 25th in Football Outsiders DVOA in 2018, up to ninth overall last year. Among John Gruden's three previous stops, each of those other teams also had a year two jump, and two of his three stayed up in year three. So uh, historically, John Gruden's offenses have made that jump and then stayed up there. And the one that didn't was the Bucks and they lost their QB early that season, and they lost their top two wide receivers um, in free agency before that season. The Raiders, on the other hand, have added quite a bit. I mentioned the targets that Derek Carr had last season. You know, we all know what they added. Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards in the draft, Tyrell Williams should be healthier. So things have gotten better around Derek Carr this year. There's reason to believe the Raiders too, should at least stay as good on offense as they did last season. And that should help the quarterback. Yeah, and they do have some new targets they're going to be working in, but they do have the continuity of, you know, same quarterback, same head coach, same offensive coordinator. So that should help. Um, and I'm not I'm not pushing for Carr as like anyone's quarterback one in a lineup setting league, but I, I do think he's a value, you know, as a quarterback three, you can get him in best ball leagues. Even as a quarterback two in best ball, if you wait, you know, a while for your second quarterback, I think I think he'll work out just fine for you. And if you're a streaming type, be aware that Derek Carr, who's going QB 28 and ADP, opens at Carolina and then is home against the Saints the first two weeks. So maybe he is a quarterback one if you wait super late in lineup setting. Also at the end of the season, you know, lots of time to go before we get to there. But 
He's home for five of the final seven games on the fantasy slate. That's include, excluding week 17. Road games are at Atlanta and at the Jets. Fantasy playoff matchups, home against the Colts, home against the Chargers, home against the Dolphins. Nice. Also very stackable in best ball leagues. All of Carr's wide receivers are cheap. Running back notes, Josh Jacobs was pretty good last year. Right? He, he was awesome on the ground. 13th league-wide in carries, 7th in rushing yards, despite missing three games. Um among 45 running backs with 100-plus carries last year, Jacobs finished second in PFF's rushing grades. He was first in elusive rating. He was sixth in yards after contact per attempt. Wasn't nearly as good in the passing game, which is surprising because like that was supposed to be you know what he was best at coming out of Alabama. But he didn't get volume. He was just 47th among running backs in targets, 48th in catches, 50th in receiving yards. And the efficiency was just sort of mediocre. Um, among 61 running backs with 20-plus targets, Jacobs was 25th in yards per target, 39th in yards per route run, 48th in pro football focuses receiving grades. A key culprit might have been pass blocking. Mike Mayock said in February that Josh Jacobs needs to improve his pass protection. If you look at PFF grading, you would think yeah. that he's not correct because Josh Jacobs was ranked 22nd among 62 running backs who had at least 50 pass blocking snaps. But I mean, the GM is a little bit more in charge and a little bit more plugged into what's going to get Jacobs on the field or keep him off of it. So we definitely can't toss that out. And that's kind of the hesitation with Jacobs. He was terrific as a runner. We believe that he has this upside as a receiver, but it sounds like he needs to show more of it to those in Vegas to be able to get on the field more. And that's what's holding him back from being a stronger prospect heading into the season. If we do get significantly, significantly more targets for Josh Jacobs, he could absolutely turn into a top five or six fantasy back this year. Right. And the nice thing is, is Jacobs is kind of priced as if, you know, he's not going to get an increase in receiving production. So you're, you know, kind of drafting him close to his healthy floor. And then, like you said, if he, if he does, you know, get 50 plus targets, he could easily be a top six or seven running back. Yeah, I'm comfy with Josh Jacobs anywhere in the second half of round two, and it gets comfier the farther he slides. Yep. Jalen Richard, Lynn Bowden Jr. or Bowden Jr. is the competition for the pass catching back. Not super interesting for fantasy, but DeAndre Washington did leave behind two seasons of 40-plus targets among the past three. Over the past three years, he and Jalen Richard combined for 81, 82, and 84 targets in those seasons. I think that if the combo of Jalen Richard and Lynn Bowden Jr. gets to that this year. It's bad news for Josh Jacobs because they didn't give him more work. And I think the fact that they're both around, I mean, Jalen Richard got re-signed and they drafted Bowden in round three, cuts into the value, cuts into the upside of both players. Yeah, I agree. Not interested in either of these guys, but you know, these guys, Richard and Bowden, are the reasons you have to worry about Jacobs' pass catching volume. I mean, you know, Bowden, a third round pick, that's not an insignificant investment in, you know, a, I guess a running back. He was a wide receiver, quarterback, whatever in, in college, but they announced him as a running back, so that's where they're going to play him. And then Jalen Richard, I, I didn't remember, or I guess I didn't realize that he got a two year, $7 million deal. And it's not, it's not huge money, but for like a pass catching specialist, that's a, a pretty, big investment. So it, it, do, it does seem like the Raiders want Richard to remain a part of this offense. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that, that came before the draft when they did pick Bowden in the third round. So, you know, maybe um, we see Richard get marginalized soon into this season. We did also hear Greg Olson say that they're going to get quarterback snaps for Bowden. I would imagine that those are wildcat type snaps because Bowden was not 
a true quarterback. He stepped in when Kentucky's quarterback went down and he was like, yo, I, I can move over from wide receiver and do this and keep the team from tanking the rest of the way. And then Bowden ended the season as the SEC's leading rusher. So he was a running back playing quarterback. And I think that overall athleticism and that they're already considering this expanded role, it makes me interested in Bowden at the very end of the draft, or, you know, at least maybe keeping an eye on for waivers. Yeah. And I mean, really, if, if Jacobs misses time, I would assume Bowden would at least be the lead ball carry. I mean, Richard's undersized. Um, so if, I mean, I don't think there's a clear handcuff here, but if you're trying to choose one for me, it'd be Bowden. I wouldn't treat it as a handcuff situation. I would say that if you're in like a 20 plus round draft and you're looking late for somebody with something to like, Bowden has something to like. It's fair. Pass catcher notes, Tyrell Williams is the incumbent, so I want to start with him. Signed a four-year, $44.3 million deal just a year ago last offseason. Scored in each of the first four games. Then plantar fasciitis, which actually struck in week two. Cost him two games. It stuck with him beyond his return. Limited him. He, he saw his target share catch rate and average depth of target all fall after his return from injury. And he really should be safe as one of the outside starters here. Um, like you said, he got that big deal just last offseason was off to a strong start last year before the foot issue he's still just 28 years old so and as usual you know no one wants to draft Tyro Williams so he, he he's super cheap so I'm definitely on board you now that that's one of the guys I think uh, you can stack with their car to get get a you know super cheap stack in, in these best ball drafts yeah even cheaper than last year he's he's an easy buy late in the best ball draft for me I'm certainly interested in that range where he's going for lineup setting. I mean, since the start of 2016, Tyrell Williams 11th in the league in yards per target among all wideouts with 40 plus targets, 16.1 yards per catch career and 11.7% touchdown rate so far. And then, so that's something he's done year after year is, is catch touchdowns at an above average rate, as opposed to it being, you know, a fluke once or twice. Hey, he's just good at football. There you go. What about Henry Ruggs? <laughs> Henry Ruggs, I mean, it was such a strange guy. Like, I, I hated him in the pre-draft process. I still don't like him in Dynasty. Like, I think I, I just think there, there's a high bust probability with this guy just looking at, you know, what, what he did in college. But I, I'd like him, especially at cost, in redraft. And it's really just based on volume. I mean, the Raiders took this guy 12th overall. They made him the first wide receiver off the board. That, to me, says he's going to be a big part of this offense right out of the gate. I actually looked. There were um, seven wide receivers picked between pick 10 and 20 over the previous 10 drafts. Five of those seven guys averaged at least 5.4 targets per game as rookies. That's a full season pace of 86 targets. I, I think that's a fair starting point for Ruggs this season. I think he could exceed that. I think he could you know, approach or even top 100 targets. I, there's also already been talk from the Raiders about them using Ruggs on the ground, you know, getting him the ball on the ground uh, you know, a time or two per game. and That, that only helps the fantasy upside. And John Gruden said Henry Ruggs blew them away with his football intelligence, which kind of goes along with what uh, you know I mentioned about the Denver personnel director talking about Jerry Judy coming out of Alabama being a, an advantage for the development of a young player. They've also said since then that Henry Ruggs is, is going to be primarily in the slot. So for me, this is kind of like the Michael Thomas situation from a few years ago where we headed into the NFL draft. We were like, yeah, Michael Thomas is fine. And then he landed with Drew Brees and it's like, oh, well, I guess we got to pay attention to Michael Thomas. Obviously, there's no Drew Brees here, but Henry Ruggs landed in the spot where they obviously love him. He was the first wide receiver taken in the draft, and there's opportunity available. I mean, there's no clear target commander. It's entirely possible that Henry Ruggs at least leads the wideouts in targets this year, and he's still going 50 or 
farther out in ADP yeah. among wide receivers. Yeah, and I like that the Raiders said they're going to start Henry Ruggs in the slot. I, I hope he plays the majority of his snaps there because, you know, for as fast as he is, he, he, he wasn't good downfield at Alabama. He was best getting the ball in his hands and picking up yards after the catch. I mean, he was one of the top after the catch wide receivers in this class. So, you know, again, that the Raiders talking about getting him the ball on the ground, it, it, it seems to me like the Raiders know the right way to use this guy, which has, you know, made me higher on him for 2020. And yet he's fourth among rookie wide receivers in ADP behind CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager. Yeah. 30 picks in ADP behind Nicole Hardman, which is <laughs> a complete mistake. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he doesn't, Ruggs doesn't have Mahomes thrown to him, but he is a similar player to Hardman who's you know probably going to double him up in targets. Ruggs in the slot, as you said, that that's also good for third round rookie Brian Edwards, who brings a strong prospect profile with him. Right. If they're gonna if the Raiders are gonna play rugs in the slot, it's very likely gonna be Tyrell Williams and Brian Edwards on the outside, because the other option is Hunter Renfrew, who's just a you know a, a strict slot guy. Edwards is 6'3", 212 pounds, so you know he has the body to play outside. Um, and yeah, really strong college production at South Carolina. Five hundred and ninety yards and four scores as a true freshman. Then he led his team in catches yards and touchdowns as a sophomore, turned in a seventy-one for 8-16 and 6 touchdown receiving line this past year despite missing two games. Edwards actually led the SEC in both catches and I'm sorry, he was first in catches per game, fourth in yards per game. Again, you know, in the SEC, the best conference in college football. So a guy I know we we liked coming in, you know, went in the third round. I think it sounds like he would have gone higher if not for the injury issues he had at South Carolina. He's already off to a strong star in camp. You know, Edwards has, you know, maybe been the buzziest player through the first like week of training camp here. And that's not a surprise. I mean, he was a buzzy player on Twitter in NFL draft season. It seemed like fantasy people liked Brian Edwards better than the NFL did. Mm-hmm. Good landing spot for him, good for initial opportunity, and he's going at the very end of draft, so you don't have to invest to take a shot on him. Uh, Derek Carr comped him to uh Devontae Adams, who Carr played with at, at uh, Fresno State. Yeah, never a bad thing for a guy. You can read all of Jared's free prospect profile, by the way, on DraftSharks.com to learn all about Brian Edwards as the prospect before he landed with the Raiders. Darren Waller's the last pass catcher we'll really talk about here. I don't feel like Hunter Renfro is worth a whole lot of time at this point after they've said Henry Ruggs is going to take over the slot. But Darren Waller saw the third most targets among all tight ends last season in his first full season as a tight end, 11th in PPR points per target, among tight ends with 40 plus targets ahead of Travis Kelsey in that category. So it's fine, but it, you know, kind of paints the picture of how target driven his top four fantasy finish was significant challenges coming to Darren Waller's target count this season. A lot of the fact that he ranked only 11th in um, points per target is that he, he scored just three touchdowns on 90 catches. I do think he's in for some positive touchdown regression there. He, he was used less than you think near the end zone. He was 11th among tight ends and red zone targets, just 23rd among tight ends and targets inside the 10. So I don't think he's going to go from, you know, three touchdowns to eight touchdowns, but I think, you know, five or six is a fair projection. I agree. The targets are coming down from the 117 he saw last year. I also don't think they're going to come down a ton though. Like I still think a hundred targets is, is well within reach for him. And that's just because I think he's, he's really good. He has the established rapport with Derek Carr, which is going to help, you know, with all these other new weapons coming in. Carr has that comfort with Darren Waller. And again, he was super efficient last year among 38 tight ends with 40 plus targets last year. Waller was fourth best in yards per target. He was fourth best in yards per route run, and he was fifth in PFF receiving grades. 
And Waller is more appropriately priced, I think, than some breakout tight ends might be. He's down to tight end five, you know, from a tight end three finish. Second half of round six in best ball tens. He's tight end five in FFPC drafting. I can't argue with Darren Waller there. Yeah, I actually prefer Evan Ingram, who's going behind Darren Waller. So I haven't even been drafting a ton of Darren Waller, but I, I think, you know, he's he's fine. It's just I prefer Ingram, who um, goes, you know, a round and a half later. Yes, I agree with that. Who I like? I'm like Leanne Rhymes because I'm all about values. So my favorite here has been Tyrell Williams. We made the case for him already, and you have to pay almost nothing to get him. I do also like Henry Ruggs, as we've alluded to, at his wide receiver 51 ADP. He's up to wide receiver 46 in FFPC drafting, so a little bit higher, about a round and a half in main event versus FFPC best balls. Again, that's limited number of main event drafts so far, so it might not be his true um, landing point, but it looks like he's climbing up as the drafts get more serious. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm in on this passing game. Derek Carr, Henry Ruggs, Tyrell Williams, Brian Edwards. It's a super uh, cheap stack in best ball. I've been, I've been doing it a lot. I just think this passing game was better than people realized last year, and all they did was add more weapons to it this offseason. If you are the streaming type, it might be good to grab Derek Carr early and just, you know, he's usable in the first couple weeks. And then, as I mentioned, the late schedule is really good, so maybe you can try to stash him if your roster is deep enough. Yeah, definitely. Who I dislike, Darren Waller's price is okay, but as you mentioned, and as I have down here, Evan Ingram is somebody that I prefer straight up to Darren Waller. So if I can wait another round and take Evan Ingram, I'll do that. The only guy I'm not drafting at all would be Hunter Renfro, and even he's going at wide receiver 66, so I can't say it's a horrible pick. But um, again, if if they are going to use Henry Ruggs mostly in the slot, that's going to you know make Renfro the fourth wide receiver here, and that's going to make him you know pretty much a non-factor in fantasy. Wrap up the division with the Los Angeles Chargers. Relevant coaching changes. Nothing has actually changed overall. Anthony Lynn heads into his fourth season as Chargers head coach, but the middle of last year, the Chargers did change OCs. They fired Ken Wisenhunt after week eight. They hired Shane Steichen. I'm not sure that that's how you pronounce it. I actually searched for how to pronounce his name before the show, and I could not find anywhere that pronounced it. So I'm going to go with Steichen. It's his first turn as OC. The Chargers with him last year went from 66.7% pass in Wisenhunt's eight games to 60.2% pass in the eight games with Steichen. They were three and three and five in the first half, two and six in the second half. So basically the same record wise, not much of an impact there. The previous two seasons, 58% pass, 59% pass in Anthony Lynn's first two years on the job. And Anthony Lynn's Buffalo team before that, where he was the interim coach and the OC was 51.4% pass. So I expect sub 60% passing here. I think the Chargers will be good enough to keep them in that range. I projected this team at 58-42. I went 56 and a half percent pass. I I do think the Chargers are going to want to run it, you know, as much as possible with I guess a shaky quarterback situation. I mean, Tyrod Taylor can be serviceable, but you don't want him dropping back 40 times a game. So yeah, I think it's a solid defense still. So I think it's going to be a pretty run leaning offense. I can't argue with that projection either. QB notes, the competition is the story here. I mean, it's Tyrod Taylor at first. Anthony Lynn most recently said that Tyrod Taylor would probably be the starter for week one. You know, not confirmation, not necessarily saying they won't let the rookie play if he's the better performer, but probably going to be Tyrod Taylor. The keys for Tyrod Taylor in fantasy are that he loves to run and he loves to throw deep. You already know about the rushing, but he spent three years as the Bills starter. He finished first, 13th, and 8th in the percentage of his passes thrown into the deep range. That's 20 plus yards downfield. 
Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what we want in fantasy. We want guys that are going to take shots downfield, and you know, when nothing's open downfield, they're going to run it. And I, I think Justin Herbert could be similar. I think figuring out how the starts are going to be divvied between these guys makes it a tough situation for lineup setting leagues. I mean, I think you almost have to draft Tyrod Taylor in lineup setting leagues just because he is the favorite to be under center for week one. But I love the idea of stacking Tyrod Taylor with Justin Herbert in best ball because you know, I, I, I think whoever's under center for this team with the rushing ability and with what is a pretty solid group of weapons, I think that guy is going to perform better than, than most people think. Yeah, I totally agree. And we talked about the schedule with the Raiders. Let's look at the Chargers first half schedule at Cincinnati versus Kansas City versus Carolina at Tampa at New Orleans versus the Jets at Miami and home for Jacksonville. It's a pretty nice beginning of the season. Yeah, and that, you know, and, and if they can win, you know, five or six of those first eight games, like Tyrod Taylor might not relinquish this starting job. I, I guess I'm starting to think Tyrod might start more games than what we have him projected for right now. Yeah, I could certainly see that this year. Running back notes, Austin Eckler was top four across fantasy formats last season, seventh most receptions ever by a running back, a top six among fantasy backs, even from week on after Melvin Gordon returned from his holdout. Yeah, the big question with Eckler this year is how much rushing work you think he's going to get. In the four games Gordon missed last season, the, the first four, um, Eckler averaged 14 carries per game. Now, he averaged just 3.9 yards per carry on those. Um, he was 44th in PFF's rushing grades among 50 qualifying running backs over that span. So it does look like his efficiency dropped off with the bigger ball carrying volume. The Chargers returned Justin Jackson, drafted Joshua Kelly. So they have they have options to, you know, take over more of that. I'm not sure they're great options. Eckler might be their best bet on the ground. And that's really the big question. Like, we know he's going to play a big role in the passing game. It's how much is he going to get on the ground? Yeah, Anthony Lynn said in February, quote, when we started him, we couldn't use him as a receiver. We need a guy with him. So I think we all knew that the Chargers weren't going to turn Austin Eckler into a workhorse. I think that indicates that they're probably giving more rushing work to the other guys in the backfield than you know, you would even maybe expect from a similar situation elsewhere. That's really the question is what does the workload look like? Cause we don't know. It'll be our first look at Austin Eckler without Melvin Gordon. Uh, we know that the chargers obviously like Eckler, but they clearly love his receiving. And for good reason, he was PFF's second highest graded receiver at any position last year. He trailed only George Kittle among all positions in that category. The receiving efficiency has been strong for three years, so it wasn't a fluke last year either. More than 10 yards per catch in each of his three years. So I love Eckler, the player, but when you're talking about somebody going usually in the first half of round two, it's just Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure what 2020 looks like for him. And then we throw in this set of quarterbacks that might be a negative impact on running back targets. Eckler's a guy I've gone back and forth on over the past few months. I can't quite make up my mind. Like we said, the rushing workload is a bit questionable, and then the targets could come down. They definitely shouldn't. As you mentioned, Eckler, an elite receiving back. I mean, he his ranks in yards per out run among running backs over the past three seasons have been fourth, third, and first. So you know, he should remain a big part of this passing game. I guess The question is, you know, was his volume – driven more by the offense or was it driven more by Philip Rivers who's now gone obviously I mean it certainly sounds at least like the coaches plan to make him a featured receiver still and they don't have a whole lot behind the two wideouts and Hunter Henry so there's room for it but you know that's the question and and questions get magnified the earlier you go in a draft 
Yeah, uh, Chargers running back saw 29% of the team's targets last year. It's just a massive number. Um, if you look at Tyrod Taylor, Taylor's three seasons with the Bills, um, the RB target shares were 17.4, 16.9, and then 26.1. LaShawn McCoy was the lead back for those three teams. He saw 50, 57, and 77 targets. You know, that's not where Eckler has been the past couple of years, but they're, they're still not bad numbers. So I side on Eckler remaining, you know, a big part of the passing game, even if his targets come down a little bit. Um, the, the bigger question is definitely the ball carrying volume. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable calling him a bust. I'm not calling Eckler, Eckler a bust where he's going, but I also do find other guys in that range that I'm a little bit more comfy drafting. Yeah, when he drops to the second half of round two, that's where I feel like, you know, Eckler starts to pop onto my radar. Yeah. Elsewhere in the backfield, Justin Jackson versus Joshua Kelly. I mean, you can see people with strong takes here. And usually when I see them, it's somebody talking about what a sleeper Joshua Kelly is. Honestly, I don't have a strong lean between these guys. I think it'll be something to watch throughout. And the Chargers coaches have talked about how there there will be a role for everybody. People are always going to be more excited about the new thing. And Kelly at least ran well at the combine. I thought the tape that I was able to see, I certainly didn't watch all of his games, but he didn't pop in the games I watched. And it sounds like Anthony Lynn likes Justin Jackson quite a bit. He said Justin Jackson has the best instincts among the team's running backs. And Jackson graded out number two among running backs in rushing according to Pro Football Focus last year, behind only Nick Chubb and ahead of Josh Jacobs. I definitely agree with Kelly not popping on tape. He was also 17th in PFF's rushing grades among 21 of this year's top running back prospects. He was dead last among those 21 in elusive rating. I saw one scout compare Joshua Kelly to Jamal Williams, which I kind of think is perfect. Like Jamal Williams never jumps off the tape. He's just a bigger guy. He's going to get what's blocked. That's probably what Kelly's going to be as a pro. And I agree this is completely a wide open battle and we probably won't know, you know, before week one who the you know main ball carrier behind Austin Eckler is. I do lean towards Kelly at this point though, just because he has he has thirteen pounds on Justin Jackson. You know, Kelly's two twelve, Jackson's one ninety nine. I do think the Chargers are probably looking for a bigger guy. Kelly was also a fourth round pick this year where Justin Jackson was a seventh rounder back in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. I'm not too interested in either one until we get very late in the draft and you know, we'll yep. see how this one sorts out. Yeah, I mean I, I do think if one of them emerges as the clear lead guy ahead of the other, that you know, that, that guy could have fantasy value if Eckler's not gonna get, you know, fourteen, fifteen carries per game. Oh, for sure. I'm just not interested in paying much to guess at which one it's gonna be if we don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Pass catcher notes, Keenan Allen. I I think every passing week makes me worry a little bit more that I or we are underrating Allen. I mean, fourth most PPR points among wideouts over the past three years, fourth in receptions per game in the NFL over the past five years. The passing share decreased for the team, as I mentioned, after the midseason OC switch last year. I think we're both expecting less than 60% this year. So passing volume should be down. And it's a new Chargers quarterback for the first time since 2005. So there are questions with Keenan Allen, who has been mostly a volume-based fantasy asset, but he's 24th among wide receivers in best ball 10's ADP right now. Yeah. So we're, I think we're skeptical about the Chargers passing game, you know, just the volume and the, and the efficiency, but the general public seems to be more skeptical. Like, like, like we're higher than ADP on Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And I'm comfortable with that. Like, I, I don't think this Chargers passing game is going to be a disaster. I think the volume is going to be down a little bit, but I think you know, it's not like Philip Rivers lit the world on fire either last year. I think, you know, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert could, approximate what Rivers did. So I'm with you. I think Keenan Allen is not someone 
you really ever got excited about and you're not going to get excited about him this year with the quarterback situation. But I think he, he, I think he's a pretty good bat to finish higher than he is in ADP right now. Yeah. I think there's a chance that this whole passing game just turns out to be underrated by fantasy drafters. Mike Williams could be the most underrated. He's going, um, he's going late in wide receiver forties, wide receiver 47, I believe is his current ADP. He could stand to benefit from this QB switch. Tyrod Taylor, we mentioned loves throwing the ball deep when he's not running it. Justin Herbert has as strong an arm as pretty much anybody at the position in the league already. Mike Williams had the third deepest average depth of target last season among all players. And with Phillip rivers as his quarterback, it was the worst career passer rating on deep balls for Rivers last season. Mike Williams still averaged 20.4 yards per catch, led the league in that category. And then Mike Williams revealed in December that he played all season through a lingering knee sprain. I think what doomed him was an overcorrection from his uh, excessively high touchdown rate in 2018. Yeah, seriously. 10 touchdowns on 43 catches in 2018, just two touchdowns on 49 catches last year. So yeah, yeah you know, balance those out and he's sort of right in line. He's just gone, you know, he's had swings in both directions. So you obviously expect that to even out. You think, you know, Williams should be good for five, six, seven scores, somewhere in there. He had a thousand receiving yards last season. Um, now the 20.4 yards per catch is not going to be repeatable. 11.1 yards per target is going to come down, but he is a big play guy. I mean, he averaged 15.4 yards per catch in 2018. So he's going to be at least in that territory. So yeah, I, I agree. I think Williams is a value where he's going in drafts right now. And Mike Williams has led the Chargers in end zone targets each of the past two years. He saw 12 of those in each of those seasons, 2018 and 2019, caught seven of them in 2018, caught one of them last year. So even if it's somewhere in between, that gives us some more fantasy production from Mike Williams. Yep. No wide receiver three worth chasing here. Uh, I'll be curious to see who actually does operate as the third. I think that if you're playing in the kind of league that that counts return yards, keep around rookie Joe Reed in mind. Yeah, he's intriguing from a size speed perspective. But yeah, I, I don't think the wide receiver three is going to be fantasy relevant here. What do you think of Hunter Henry? I think Hunter Henry is really good. I mean, injuries have gotten in the way really throughout his career now. He's played... 15 games, 14 games, zero games, and 12 games. So he's, he's got to string together a healthy season. But his ranks in PPR points per game have been 16th as a rookie, which is you know a strong rookie season by a tight end, and then 7th and 8th the following two years. Um, you know, So he's been a top 8 tight end when he's been on the field. He's also fared well in yards per route run. Um, he was 5th among all tight ends in yards per route run as a rookie, 2nd in his second season and 11th last year. So it's really just staying healthy for Hunter Henry. You could sort of make the same arguments with him as we did for the wide receivers about, you know, the volume coming down and, you know, the questions at quarterback, but Henry, you know, should, should be a clear top three option in this passing game alongside these top two wide receivers we talked about. He finished 12th among tight ends and targets last year, but just 25th in end zone looks at the position. I'll be curious to see if that rebounds. Mike Williams, as I mentioned, has kind of passed him as the top end zone uh, target. But last year was also the first year that we got Hunter Henry with no Antonio Gates, and we did lose Hunter Henry still for a little while with the knee fracture. So curious to see what a full, healthy, no Antonio Gates season looks like. And Hunter Henry's still been a, a top eight PPR producer in points per game each of the past two years where we really got him healthy. So especially when you see him priced down toward the bottom of tight end one territory. Um, I, I think Hunter Henry makes sense where he's going. Yeah. Another guy who's just, I think getting discounted because people really don't want anything to do with this chargers offense. 
Who I like, the favorites for me are Mike Williams and the quarterbacks. I mentioned the ADP for Mike Williams, wide receiver 47. He was at 1304 in ADP in FFPC best ball drafting. He's late round 11 in football guys championships and late round 10 so far in main events. You know, I'll mention one more time, we're only through a few main event drafts, so that might not be his resting point, but it does look like more serious drafts. We're getting Mike Williams climbing the board a little bit. Yeah, again, I think I think Mike Williams and Keenan Allen at wide receiver twenty four. Like, I, I I wouldn't call them massive values, but I think they're they're definitely guys who you should be considering at cost. And like you said, and like I said before, these quarterbacks, um, Tyrod Taylor is going quarterback twenty three, Justin Herbert going quarterback thirty five. If you combine our projections for them into one quarterback, it, it puts them seventeenth at the position. I think you know, I think that's basically what you're gonna get from these guys on a per game basis when you, you know, factor in the weapons they're throwing to and both of their uh, rushing abilities. If you get somebody like Dak Prescott or even Tom Brady earlier in your draft and you really don't need a second quarterback, I like the idea of stashing a Chargers quarterback or even both of them at the very end. Totally. On the who I dislike, I really don't dislike anyone here. I mentioned the questions about Austin Eckler, but like I said, I don't really dislike him. I'm not calling him a bust there. And that's kind of the closest thing to actually being against somebody at cost in this Chargers offense. Yeah, I got no one here that I wouldn't take. I think, you know, Eckler at RB14 and Hunter Henry at tight end eight, that, that's basically where they should be going. So if they do drop, you know, beneath that at all, they're, they're definitely guys I will take. Agreed. That'll do it for this AFC West preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we project all of these players and to find the six previous episodes in this preview series. You can also find the final of our big three annual articles, The Breakout Player, which hit the site Tuesday morning. That is only for DS Insiders, so it's time to jump in if you haven't done so already. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us.